Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see everyone here this morning. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 16, we'll be looking at the first 15 verses. So Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. I will read it, pray, and we'll get on with our message. Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Messiah, they were trying to go into Bithynia, And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas... We ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the word and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Our Father, we are thankful for the word that you have given us. We are thankful for the account, the inspired account that we have here written in the book of Acts, recounting the history of your gospel going out into the world. And we are thankful that your gospel continues to go out to the world so that even we today, 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, can rejoice in the salvation that comes through faith in Christ. I pray that you would bless The reading, the teaching of this word, keep me out of the way, but let your Holy Spirit be the one who gives understanding in our hearts and minds. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are back in the book of Acts. If you will remember, when we left off last time, the second missionary journey had begun. 
It was uh, very shortly after the council in Jerusalem that came together and determined that salvation was by faith alone. One need not become a Jew. One need not become circumcised in order to be part of the community of God, but one must simply have faith in the Lord Jesus. And that faith is credited to them as righteousness and that they ought not be troubled with the burden of the Jewish law. After this, Paul had decided to go on a second journey, to go visit all the churches that they had visited before. We remember the heart for the Apostle Paul is not only to go out and make new disciples, but to go and visit and minister to the saints that had already believed. Paul had a great desire to go and visit those saints, and we see that desire throughout the New Testament. But they ran into an issue and that issue's name was Mark. Paul and Barnabas, as you will remember, had been together for uh, the first missionary journey. They had been together for most of the time that the Apostle Paul had been working for the Lord, and yet Mark, uh, when Barnabas wanted to take Mark, the one who had abandoned them on their first journey along with them, it caused such a division that Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways, and they went on their journey Uh, Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus, and then Paul took Silas, one of the saints from Jerusalem, and being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and they traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening to the churches. And this is where we catch up to them in verse 1 of chapter 16, where they came to Lystra and Derbe, which are in the Galatian regions. So these would have been churches that would have received Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in verse 1, we read that a disciple was there named Timothy. And for those who are familiar with the New Testament, this name uh, should be very important. In fact, there are several books named after Timothy, First and Second Timothy. This isn't because Timothy wrote them, but it's because they were written to Timothy. He becomes a very prominent figure in the early New Testament church. Timothy, as we read here, Uh, was a believer, likely came to faith on Paul's first missionary journey. He was the son of a believing Jewish woman, and we learn that her name is Eunice, and his father was a Greek. And 2 Timothy also uh, tells us that he had a grandmother, a believing grandmother named Lois, and who with his mother taught him the scriptures from a very young age. In first in uh, second Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, the apostle Paul says, "I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well." So the apostle Paul encouraging Timothy, "I remember, I know of the sincere faith that your grandmother has, that your mother has, and that now you have. So raised by, uh, well, first generation Christians. Uh, Christianity was very new to the world scene. Uh, There only was first generation Christians at this point, but even these first generation Christians saw the importance of passing down the faith that had been given to them to their child and grandchild, Timothy. Timothy is described here as the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren. So Paul gets to this area of Lystra and Derby, and he likely hears of this young man, Timothy. 
well spoken of by the brethren. So Timothy, despite his mixed lineage, apparently had demonstrated himself to be strong in faith and was held in very high regard by the churches who were in Lystra and Iconium. And the Apostle Paul paints us a picture of uh, Timothy's character. In the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. But in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, and this is after uh, some time journeying with Timothy, where Paul could have had a better understanding of the character of Timothy. He'd be able to see his faith in action. And he says this to the Philippians, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. And then he says this, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be, genuinely be concerned of your, for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his, Timothy's, proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly." So in Timothy, we see a number of very admirable characteristics. Tim, uh, Paul calls Timothy a kindred spirit of his, a son in the faith. So when Paul sees Timothy, he's basically saying he's like a younger version of myself. It's uncanny. Uh, have you ever met someone that you really just clicked with? Someone who basically may as well have been able to finish your sentences. Someone you get along with so well and you, you agree on so many different things. You work so well together. Well, that's what Paul found in Timothy. It's like, I found a young man who, uh, we're kindred spirits. Uh, it's like we were separated at birth. It's like he's the son I never had. What an amazing thing. He's a kindred spirit and he is my son in the faith. I've taken him under myself to raise him up to build him up in the things of the Lord. He also says this about Timothy, and this is something that we as saints can aspire to. He says that Timothy, only Timothy, is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the saints. What's a mark of the Christian that we love one another? How will the world recognize that we are followers of Christ because of our love for one another? And what does the Apostle Paul say of Timothy? He has a genuine concern for the welfare of the saints. It's not just because that that's the position he was put in. Uh, it, it's not he, that he's actually self-serving and he just so happens to help those around him. No, Timothy's genuine concern was for the saints, for the welfare of the saints. He's also described this way, that he seeks first and foremost the interests of Jesus. Well, how do we fit that with, well, he's seeking the welfare of the saints and first and foremost the interests of Jesus. Well, what are the interests of Jesus? Well, of course, that is the welfare of the saints, the building up of the saints, the discipleship of the saints. And Timothy, because of his great love for Christ, has great love for the saints, what are the uh, two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second flows from the first. 
If there is genuine love for God, there will be genuine love for neighbor. If we have genuine love for Christ, then we are going to have genuine love for the saints, the one whom Christ has called to himself, the one whom Christ himself has shown love to. So we can emulate Timothy in that way, in his love for Christ, in his love for the saints. And he also says this, uh, the Apostle Paul says this about Timothy, that he demonstrates himself as faithful in his service in the furtherance of the gospel. What is Timothy's number one concern? The furtherance of the gospel, right? That comes right along with it. it uh, the gospel is the message that Christ gave us, his people, to bring to the world. The good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And that was Paul's concern. That was uh, Paul's desire, was to know nothing among those who he went about into, but Christ and him crucified. And that was Timothy's concern too, know Christ and him crucified. So because of uh, Timothy's tremendous character and the connection that the Apostle Paul had with Timothy, he sought to bring Timothy along with him on the mission. And that's what we read. Paul wanted this man to go with him. Paul sees Timothy and he says, this is someone that uh, I don't want him to be anywhere but with me. I want uh, him to, be, to serve the Lord under me. I want Timothy to aid me as I go about in this mission because Man, this guy is just like me. He's so like-minded. He has the welfare of the saints in his heart, the love for Christ in his heart. He seeks to share the gospel. He wants people to know the gospel. So he decides to bring Timothy with him. And we do see throughout the book of Acts that Timothy does remain with Paul throughout his journeys. There are times where they're separated, of course, but we see the tremendous amount of love and respect that Paul has for Timothy Paul entrusts Timothy with the care of the saints. Oftentimes, the Apostle Paul sends Timothy to churches such as the Corinthian churches, the Thessalonian churches, to teach and encourage. In the passage that we just read in Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, I hope to send Timothy to you shortly. Though I can't go to you, the next best thing that's just as good as me coming is Timothy going. So Timothy is often sent by Paul to these various churches. And Paul, we see throughout his own writings that he refers to Timothy as his own son. And we even have two letters in the New Testament that are from Paul to Timothy. So we see this great and deep connection uh, that these two men in Christ have for one another. So Paul seeks to take Timothy with him, and Timothy does go with him. But then we come across a verse that can... Uh, that might be a little confusing, that might throw us for a loop. Remember what we had just read in the previous chapter about circumcision. Well, uh, what did the Council of Jerusalem decide? Well, one does not need to be circumcised to be a Christian, right? Isn't that the truth? One does not need to become a Jew to become a Christian. Circumcision doesn't save anyone. But then we read this just one chapter later, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him. What are we to make of that? Uh, was, is the, uh, the mad atheist, the village atheist, right in saying, the Bible's just filled with all kinds of contradictions. You can't trust a single word that it says. 
Is that what is going on here? Did Paul change his mind between the Council of Jerusalem going out to the churches? And remember, part of the reason he's going to these churches is to deliver what the Council of Jerusalem said. Did the Apostle Paul change his mind between that time? Well, no. Uh, there's a few things uh, to understand. The Council of Jerusalem had just concluded from the scriptures that one did not need to be circumcised to become part of the church. We talked about that. The Apostle Peter at that council even said that the Jews themselves could not bear the burden of circumcision and everything that came with it. So we need to understand, Timothy was not circumcised to be saved. Paul didn't just unilaterally change his mind and say, man, you're great if only you were circumcised and then only then you would be an actual true follower of Christ. Um, uh, That's not what's happening here. We need to be careful not to misunderstand the nature of circumcision. There's only one way to salvation. There always has been one way of salvation, While circumcision and the sacrificial system were laws that marked out the people of Israel as God's chosen people, it is not these things in and of themselves that save anyone. Something that we might misunderstand is that uh, uh, something that some people might come along and say and try to teach or have the idea of is that the Jews were saved through the keeping of the law, through circumcision and the sacrificial system, but only after Christ We are saved by grace through faith. Up until this point, yes, the only way to salvation is through that system, which would include circumcision. But after the cross, all of that is done away with. Well, no, that is not the case. And we know that from Scripture. While the sacrificial system, circumcision, all of these things were ordained by God, they were pointing ahead to a a future fulfillment, these things in and of themselves had no power to save anyone. The Jews were not saved through the law and the Christians through grace, by grace through faith. For all people at all times, it has always been by grace through faith. And we even see that with Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. When we look at Abraham, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 4, What shall we say of Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? If Abraham was justified by works which would include circumcision, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In a few verses down, in verse 10 of Romans 4, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Because the story goes, you know, Abraham believes God. God makes his covenant with Abraham. Uh, Abraham is credited as righteousness. And after this, the uh, circumcision is instituted. But the Apostle Paul is asking, when was righteousness credited to Abraham? Before or after this? When he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had while uncircumcised so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, so not only the Jewish people who are descendants of Abraham, but also to those who follow in the steps of faith of our father Abraham that he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants 
that he would be the heir to the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And that is true even to this day, even in the future day with the restoration of Israel. It will not be through circumcision. It will not be through ceremonial law. It will not be through a, circle, uh, a sacrificial system. It's not going to be through a rebuilt temple, but through the supernatural work of God in granting repentance and faith in Christ to the people of Israel, where they will look upon Yahweh, the Son of God, whom they have pierced. The Jewish system does not grant salvation. And the Apostle Paul knew this. But how does this answer the question? Okay, you've convinced me uh, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. You don't need to be circumcised to be part of the covenant community. So why was Timothy circumcised? Well, the answer is here in the text. And it says, he was circumcised for the sake of the Jews. Why was Timothy circumcised for the sake of the Jews? We understand the, the Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, but Part of his mission, a very important part of his mission, was his ministry to his Jewish brethren. And uh, he would always, and we remember the pattern that the Apostle Paul has. Whenever he would arrive to a new city, the first place that he would go to was the synagogue so that he could share the gospel with his Jewish brethren. Well, the issue is Timothy is a Jew, but he does not bear the sign that makes a Jew a Jew. And because of this, in order to avoid any controversy surrounding Timothy, the Apostle Paul had Timothy circumcised. Wasn't to, wasn't to save him, wasn't to make him fully part of the church, wasn't to make him fully a Jew or anything like that, but rather it was for the sake of those that they were ministering to. It's one less issue that gets in the way of presenting the gospel. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the Jews, I became a Jew, so that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. What's he saying? To the Jews, I acted like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I acted like a Gentile. To those who are weak, I became weak. He says, I've become all things to all men, so that by all means, I might be able to save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker in it. The Apostle Paul, it was important to him that there not be any stumbling blocks, any barriers that would prevent him from sharing the gospel with certain people. Though Timothy certainly didn't need to be circumcised, and Paul knew it, it was done so that there would not be any barriers for the gospel to be proclaimed among the Jews. There would be no question about Timothy, his lineage, or anything like that. Paul, there was one less controversy that could be dealt with that uh, Paul wouldn't have to deal with so that the gospel would be first and foremost. And there's a principle here for us to follow, that we can follow. Sometimes it is necessary for us to lay aside our own preferences, our own Christian liberties for the sake of sharing the gospel. 
We see this a lot of the time in foreign countries, right? When we think of missionaries who adopt the different customs of different countries that they're evangelizing so that there's no barrier that would prevent them from sharing the gospel. Women might wear, uh, women might wear a hijab or men might grow out a beard or Christians may refrain from eating or drinking certain things in order to avoid offense because these offenses would be unnecessary stumbling blocks that would prevent someone from hearing the gospel. As Christians, we do have liberties. We are free to exercise them, and no one has the right to judge us for any of these things or try to take them away. However, at times, for the sake of the gospel, there is a great amount of wisdom in setting aside our own preferences to avoid any stumbling blocks that would get in the way of a clear gospel proclamation. And that, I think, is what we're seeing here with Timothy. They didn't want his uh, Gentile father and his questionable lineage to be a stumbling block that would get in the way of a clear gospel presentation to the Jews. So we move on then. Uh, We see that they were passing from city to city and they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. And so the churches were being strengthened in faith, and they were increasing in number daily. So they're going through the cities that they had already visited. They're visiting these newly established churches, churches that had only been around for a few years, churches that had been founded by the Apostle Paul. And along the way, they're encouraging the brethren. And that was one of Paul's primary things. He wanted to encourage the brethren. He wanted to feed the brethren. Another purpose of this journey was also to deliver the decrees from the Council of Jerusalem. Because remember, these churches would have been mixed churches. It would have been a mix between Jew and Gentile. And we may, it may be hard for us to wrap our minds around that in our day, but in that context, remember, Jew and Gentile did not meet. They had nothing to do with one another. They didn't eat the same food. They didn't have the same practices or anything like that. And yet, within the church, they come together as one. And while they are one, there is still a great amount of potential for conflict, especially surrounding uh, this uh, issue of, saw, of, of walking in the Mosaic law, right? Uh, things regarding circumcision. So they're delivering these things to the churches, encouraging the Gentiles and Jews to live in harmony. The churches are being strengthened, and the churches were being strengthened in faith, and they were increasing in number daily. So the mission goes on. They pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region. In these next few verses, uh, we run into some things that are kind of interesting having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Messiah, they were trying to go to Bithynia, another region, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing through Messiah, they came down to Troas. So, what's the Apostle Paul's heart? What's in his heart? He wants to go wherever he can go to share the gospel. That's the reason the Apostle Paul lives, to go where no one else has gone to share the gospel. And great, here's this great big region of Asia right down and right in front of us. It's right to our south. I want to go to Asia. I want to go to cities like Ephesus, and I want to share the gospel with them. But what happens? We read something interesting. They, have not, uh, they were per, uh, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Huh. What do we make of that? 
Well, Paul says, okay, I can't go to Asia. Well, I'll, I'll try to go north. I'll go into Bithynia. That place hasn't been reached yet. But the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And it's interesting if you uh, look at a map. I don't know if your Bible has a map in the back. Uh, 29th book of the New Testament, uh, right after the 28th book uh, of, called the uh, Concordance. So in the maps, we can even look at the Apostle Paul's missionary journey and follow it along. And in the second missionary journey, it's really interesting. He goes basically to the border of Bithynia and Asia after traveling through the Galatian regions. He wants to go north, he can't. He wants to go south, he can't. So he goes to the west, and he keeps going west until he can't go anymore. He arrives in the city of Troas, which is right on the Aegean Sea. So Paul has this great desire to go wherever he can go, but wherever he wants to go somewhere, God shuts that door in his face. No, you're not going to go to Asia. No, you're not going to go to Bithynia. So he keeps going, traveling west. He sought to go west and he uh, so he uh, sought to go into Asia. He wasn't able to go there, wasn't able to go to Bithynia. The only way he could go was he ends up at Troas. And the only way he could go any further than Troas is to uh, put on his little swimmers and go out into the Aegean Sea. So Paul really is at a dead end here. And it's a dead end that he was brought to by the Holy Spirit of God. And I think there's an interesting principle that we see here. We see that sometimes God closes doors for us. Sometimes he prevents us from going where we'd like. Sometimes he prevents us from getting the jobs that we would like, engaging in the ministry opportunities that we would like. Sometimes it seems like the way is laid plain for us, and when we want to go, that door is shut in our face. And we might say, God, what's going on? Well, it may seem discouraging to have these opportunities go away because, remember, there's a great amount of fruit that's to be gathered in Asia. And Paul will eventually go to Asia, but he wasn't able to go there at that point. That may be discouraging to us when there's an opportunity that comes along and we say, oh, this is perfect. But then, well, we call it life happens and we weren't able to do it. In reality, God happens and God prevents us from going where we otherwise would like to go. It can be very discouraging, but at the same time, we can trust that even when doors are shut in our face, that God has us exactly where he wants us, and that God, through this, is even accomplishing his own purposes through us. And there's a great uh, story of how this may play out in reality. In 2009, in Pakistan, there lived a Christian man. If you know anything about Pakistan, it's not necessarily a friendly country to Christians. And being a Christian, this man had very limited opportunities. There were many jobs that he could not get on account of being a Christian. There were all kinds of troubles that he had to go through on account of being a Christian. All kinds of opportunities that probably came and went that he wasn't able to take because of his faith as a Christian. The only job he could get was working as a janitor at an all-female school in Pakistan, an all-female university, 
where he only made $60 a month. And this was 2009, so $60 is a little bit more than $2022, but even back then, that's not a lot of money. It's all because he was a Christian. So he shut in into this place where, really, what opportunities are there for this man? Well, an opportunity did come along because uh, in 2009, there were two suicide bombers who, dressed as women, went and attacked the school. They shot the security guard to get in, and they were making their way to the cafeteria where somewhere between three and 400 of these Muslim women were. But because of the doors that were shut in this man's face, because this was the only place he could be, he was the one who prevented those suicide bombers from getting in and killing hundreds of Muslim women, and he died in the process. So we see that even with these closed doors, that he was exactly where God wanted him at that point. And God was glorified in the actions of this man. And uh, this story has gone around for some time, so uh, who knows what the fruit of this action was. But it's certainly nothing that he expected. But it's all because God shut doors that would otherwise be open to him. So we, too, can trust that when doors are shut, when we aren't able to do the things that we want to do, go the places we want to go, when we're not able to get the job or the ministry opportunities we might want, we can trust that God has us exactly where he wants us. And where did God want the Apostle Paul? He wanted him in Troas. And it was only when, there was no, when he was in Troas, where they hit a dead end, where there were no other options available, that God made the way forward plain to the Apostle Paul. We continue reading. They get to Troas in verse 8. Passing by Messenia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So only when all the other doors were shut, the way was made plain. It was time to go to Macedonia. He receives a cry for help. A man from Macedonia saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And this is a reminder that of the peril that the world is in. The world needs help. Macedonia needed help. And what is the help that the apostle Paul has to offer to Macedonia, because remember, who is Paul? He's a traveler. He's uh, a rabbi. He really doesn't have a tremendous amount of influence in the world. He doesn't, uh, he's not in charge of any armies, or he doesn't have a great amount of political influence. But he receives the call from Macedonia to go help. And what does Paul do? When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they set out, and Paul understands that a cry for help means a cry for the gospel. Paul understands that man's greatest problem is ultimately his sin problem, and that the solution that God has given Christians to meet the problem of the world is the gospel. 
That is why we're here, to share the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. We recognize in the world that there are many needs, and we can play a part in meeting these needs. There are people in the world who have health issues. There's all kinds of poverty in the world. There are injustices. And yes, we can come and meet those needs. Even here at the chapel, we play a part in meeting those needs. That's what we're doing with the Operation Christmas Child, and it's a wonderful need to meet. But the greatest need is salvation from sin. People are in need in all kinds of areas, and the greatest help that they need is deliverance from the judgment of God. So when Paul hears the cry for help from Macedonia, Paul didn't set sail there so he could start building hospitals. Not the hospitals are wrong. They're a great and godly gift. He didn't set out to start building homeless shelters or campaign for reforming the government or anything like that. Not that those are wrong. Not that we shouldn't take part in those. But he recognized that their greatest need was for the gospel. And that's what they set sail to deliver to them. And something else to notice is that uh, before, up until they arrived to Troas, the missionaries were referred to in the third person. They were called they, right? They did this. But then in verse 10, you'll notice something is a little bit different. Uh, when he had seen the gospel, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. And uh, though Luke doesn't make a big deal here, uh, about it, it seems that this is the point of the journey where Luke, the author of the book of Acts, meets up with the Apostle Paul. So, in just the last few minutes, we'll read the last few verses. So, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day forward, and on the day following Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia a Roman colony, and we were staying there for some days. So they arrived to Philippi, one of the leading cities there, a very wealthy city and a very idolatrous city. When uh, we consider wealthy people, we think of people who don't need anything. Well, Paul shows up to a wealthy city and he says, these people need help, right? It, it really shows the difference between what Paul understands as needing help and what we might understand as needing help. But he arrives to Philippi because they need help at Philippi. And Paul, uh, as is his custom, sought out the Jews. And on the th Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And this is interesting, too, because it breaks a little bit from the pattern. Typically, Paul first goes to the synagogue because that's where the Jews are. And that's where there's a great opportunity to share the gospel. But it seems like in Philippi that there's such a low presence of Jews that there wasn't even a synagogue. Typically, uh, at least according to different literature, you only needed about 10 men to establish a synagogue in a city. That's all you really needed. But it seems like in Philippi, they didn't even have that. So rather than going to the synagogue, they would meet at the riverside where there would be water for ceremonial washings and whatnot. And that's where the Apostle Paul and his company go. And they meet up with a number of women who had assembled there. And a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So Lydia is introduced. 
uh, as one of the women who had assembled there, a seller of purple garments, and purple garments were the garments of kings. So uh, the dye that was used to make purple garments was very expensive. So Lydia was a woman of great means in that respect. She was also described as a worshiper of God which uh, may indicate that she was a Gentile, uh, actually, who worshipped the one true God. Just as Cornelius before him was not a Jew, but he too was a worshiper of God. They're described as God-fearers throughout the book of Acts. So Paul goes to the riverside to preach where these God-fearers, perhaps a mixture of Jew and uh, Gentile God-fearers, gathered together to pray and worship. And Paul goes and preaches the gospel, and Lydia was listening. And notice what it says when Lydia was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. And this is just a great reminder that while God calls us to be obedient, while God calls us to go out into the world to share the good news, that ultimately it is God's story. God is the one who is in charge of missions. God is the one who brings people to himself. It's all about God. The Apostle Paul It's not that he was just a better preacher than anyone else. It's not that he was more persuasive than anyone else. It's not that Lydia was more spiritual than anyone else or anything like that. But here we're reminded that God is the one who takes the heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. And we see that's exactly what happens. And he does so through the proclamation of the good news of what Jesus has done. And upon believing She and her household are baptized immediately, and they immediately open up their door to the missionaries, and her house becomes a center for the faith in Philippi. So, just to conclude, a few concluding thoughts, and we'll be dismissed. So, we see a couple different things in this passage. We see a few different things in Timothy. With Timothy, we see the importance of having close bonds in Christ, in sharing in the work that God has given us with others, and building others up in the faith. We see the importance of passing the faith down to the next generation. If we are in the faith, it's because someone else has passed that down to us. Timothy could become like Paul because Paul was able to take what he had and pass it down to Timothy. Where are some areas that we can pass down what God has given us for the next generation? We also see in Timothy that sometimes there is wisdom in laying aside our liberties for the sake of the gospel. The gospel should be our priority. Timothy prioritizes God's work in this world, and he does it over his own comforts. Are we willing to lay some of the things aside for the purpose of carrying out the work that God has for us? We also see in this passage that God is the ultimate missions director in the world. And sometimes God directs missions in ways that we might not understand. Sometimes the opportunities that God gives us are closed doors. Sometimes the opportunity that God gives us is keeping us from going where we would like to go. We may not always be able to do things the way that we want to do or go the places that we want to go, but it doesn't mean that we aren't exactly where God wants us for his own purposes. We need to learn how to trust God when the opportunities that we would like are taken away from us. And we need to be content to obey him wherever he has us. And then third, with Lydia, we're reminded that God is the one who ultimately changes the heart. We're reminded that 
This story that we're reading is not Paul's story. It's not the apostle's story. It's not Timothy's story. It's not Lydia's story. This is God's story. The book of Acts is about the continued ministry of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit working in his people. And just as it was God's story then, the story that we are in is God's story now. Now, just as it was then, God is the one who brings the increase. Now, just as it was then, we are here to serve and worship the living God. And now, just as it is then, God is the one who is sovereign over history. God is the one who is building his church, and he graciously uses us to do so. May we be obedient and walking where God has us and faithfully carrying out the work that he has put before us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for this time that we've had together for these great truths that we find in your word, these reminders of your gospel, the good news that meets our needs, our greatest need, the need for salvation. We're thankful that you have brought us here together to hear of this good news, and we're thankful that you see fit to use us in bringing this good news to the world. Father, I pray that we would be faithful where we are at, recognizing that we are exactly where you want us to be. I pray that we would take what you have given us, whatever it may be, and put it to work for your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.